0: You're listening to The Compliance Insiders with Roger Fendelman, where you can hear the best and brightest experts in the mortgage industry discuss compliance and technology issues that affect you. It's all you need to know in 10 minutes or less.
1: We're back once again with Humda expert, Melissa Kazicki. Melissa, thanks again for being here. I wanted to start this week's podcast by saying that you and I both have spent a tremendous amount of time speaking with our fellow compliance insiders over the last several days to really get a complete picture about whether Acting Director Mulvaney and the CFPB would, in fact, issue some sort of delay to the 2018 Humda rule changes and the consensus is that's not going to happen because, frankly, it's just too late to make any changes. We have the holiday break upon us And that would involve a lot of code work, a lot of retraining, a lot of new policies and procedures, or a rollback document indicating the same thing. So at this stage in the game, the industry is willing to move forward and implement the new rule changes. And I know that you've heard the same thing. That's right. So with that said, let's get back to some of these last-minute, 11th-hour details that might cause people some pain when it comes to implementing the new rule in January 2018. One of the main issues I wanted to bring up, it's been a key issue for you as well, is the proposed policy guidance on the release of the 2018 HMDA data, which contains a lot of personal information. That's been a concern. I know that's something that you've been working on for a long time.
0: Yeah, that's right. The Bureau has issued guidance on what they intend to make public and what they intend to hold back. And interestingly, they note that while they invite public comment, this is non-binding and exempt from notice and rulemaking
1: with Acting Director Mulvaney in place, we're probably going to see a new direction. The industry trade groups, although they weren't able to reach consensus on perhaps delaying the entire Humda rule, they, I think, are pushing pretty hard, and I think they'll get a favorable response from the Bureau on this. Mulvaney will most likely require the Bureau to withdraw their proposed policy guidance. And if they decide they want to move forward with that in the future, to follow the formal Administrative Procedures Act requirements, which they aren't doing today. That's some potential good news because we may not have to ultimately be so concerned about all of that data becoming public. So that's an important issue.
0: It is an important issue. I agree with you. And I think it behooves all of us to follow it very closely. I think that as citizens, it's our data. And as uh, business people, it's our customers' data. And I think we want to make sure that everybody feels comfortable with what's made public.
1: That's right. Switching gears, we were also talking earlier about some of those Humda detail issues, which on the surface may not seem like that big of a deal, but in reality could blow up into something much larger in terms of problems for lenders next year. One of those issues is how to properly provide the automated underwriting decisioning on your Hamda LAR. So what do we need to know about that? And why is that such a potential headache?
0: Well, I think I was as guilty of anyone when the rule first came out of seeing that the name and results of the AUS would be included on the LAR and thought, ah, no big deal. I've got that in my system. We all do it already. How hard can that be? Turns out the answer is pretty hard. So If you think about it, the rule for AUS has a use to evaluate the application standard. And if we think about that, that means if you use the AUS to evaluate the actual application, regardless of whether you used an AUS in underwriting, you're going to report the name and results. And where that I think gets tricky is finding out, thinking about, do I know who runs an AUS? This could be the LO an LO assistant, the processor a processor assistant. You know, we're not just talking about something that happens in underwriting. And I'm not sure we're even talking about something that just happens in your LOS. Is it possible that somebody's going to another website or directly to DU or something like that and you don't even have knowledge of it or capturing the results?
1: So this can become a real problem, especially if you don't have tight controls over your origination process or your application process, for that matter. I can envision a scenario with a lender who has many branch offices, and each one might have slightly different procedures. That's a perfect example of how this might become a problem.
0: Well, one thing I think we have to keep in mind is that the FFIEC released examination guidelines. I think a lot of people have missed this because frankly, it's pretty early. We don't usually get this kind of information this early in the process. But what that means is they've released the initial sample size and error threshold that would trigger a larger sampling of your loans and potentially a resubmission. And the margins are pretty small on that.
1: Well, let's talk about those margins. How small are they?
0: Well, if your LAR count is between 501 and 100,000 loans. Your initial sample size is 35, which isn't too bad, but the threshold is two errors.
1: So there's the dig. If you have a situation where two of your loans have incorrectly reported automated underwriting decisions, now you're opening yourself up to much larger Humda scrub at the request of an examiner and possibly other issues that the examiner may find this is gonna be a ding against the lender during examination season.
0: It could be. And I think even if they increase the sample size, that in this instance, it would go up to 79 and the resubmission threshold would be four. So 5.1% is what you're looking at. Even if you were okay with that, maybe you didn't have to resubmit. We all know how much time that takes. And if you did have to scrub and resubmit, that's really time consuming too. So even outside of any ding with your regulator, That's a lot of work and a lot of man hours we all know goes into a resubmission.
1: It definitely is. I hope in the future, perhaps as early as 2018, the Bureau can take a look at making some revisions to that and increasing that threshold, allowing for a little bit more error, especially something that can be so easily confused. One final thing, I'm hoping that you can leave our audience with a better feeling about some of the other Hamda issues. You're noticing a lot of lenders revisiting some of their old humda practices that don't change with the new humda rule. What's going on there and should lenders be worried?
0: Yeah, I think people are looking at reevaluating everything, right, which isn't a bad thing, but I don't think there's reason to panic. There's a lot about humda that did not change. It's simply been previous guidance codified into the new rule. If you were doing it right before, you're probably going to be fine and doing it correctly in next year's filing as well.
1: Melissa, thanks again for being on. Happy holidays to you and yours. And thank you for all of your work in getting ready for Hamda in 2018. And thank you for the awesome series.
0: Are you a compliance insider? Then go to compliancepodcast.com immediately and join our mailing list so you never miss an episode. Got something to say? Request to be on the show. Go to compliancepodcast.com with your topic ideas. And as always, thank you for listening.